So, Attorney Michael Lyles is here. He is a, uh, he went to Iowa State University and the University of the District of Columbia. He has a bachelor degrees in finance and a law degree from the Catholic University right here in Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Talk to us first, because I asked you, and I, I'm almost certain I'm going to have him back again, because he knows so many interesting things that I want to share with you. But what is the Prince George's County uh, um, uh, Commission on Human Relations? What is that? Well, it's the commission that was established. Mission that was established by Prince George's County to protect the rights uh, okay. of citizens uh, to be free from discrimination. So we are the civil rights agency, if you will. We protect people from discrimination in housing, employment, public accommodations, uh, real estate uh, transactions, finance. Really? Yes, indeed. Pretty All broad right. powers, including that police is. misconduct. Oh, that's great. Yes, indeed. Give out your contact information. We're going to do this more than once, but, yeah, I didn't realize you had such a broad range of, of subject matter that you deal with. Yes, indeed. If, if folks are discriminated against inside Prince George's County, they can call us at 883-6160. That's area code 301-883-6160. Or they can email us at hrcstaff at co.pg.md.us. Yeah, y'all got that long email yes, at the is. end. Yes, or you, you do. Just, or you can just go to our website, Civil Rights. Uh, so if you PGC US. Okay, uh, I I found you just by googling uh, Prince George's County. That's it. Yeah, that helps. yeah, yeah, and and you really have a broad uh, agenda there. Talk to us about in in a little bit more detail about the kinds of areas, and then I've asked you to particularly zero in on sexual harassment and sexual discrimination. Sure. It's a huge topic right now, and we need to know what the law is, how do we deal with it, and all. But before we get there, talk to us a little bit more detail about all the other things that the commission does, and then we can go back to that, please. Well, the commission is primarily the enforcement entity for uh, discrimination complaints. So we investigate those complaints. We uh, prosecute cases before a 13-member commission who hears the cases in a public hearing setting. Mm. Uh, in addition to that, we go out and do outreach for our agency. We also do training for employers, anybody that needs to know about discrimination, what we enforce, what the laws are, uh, not only at the local level, but the state and federal as well. So um, if you're, if somebody is listening and they are working in a, a job or a company that wants to know what the law is in terms of discrimination, they can contact your office? Yes, they can. And that's part of our outreach effort to ensure that we eliminate discrimination. So our primary objective is to make sure that people can live in Prince George's County free from discrimination so that outreach and education is part of what we do in addition to the enforcement. The enforcement, the investigation is probably primarily where our energies lie because we have so much staff dedicated to the enforcement investigation. We do get uh, a fair number of complaints every month. Mm -hmm. and, uh, in addition to all of that, we're also in charge of the Human Trafficking Task Force and I co-chair that um, task force in Prince George's County. And, and, and I noticed on, on the website that you all have the authority to award up to $200,000 in damages. Is that right? That's right. And okay. the, uh, violators of the code regarding discrimination can be hit with fines up to $10,000. So okay. if we prove that someone's been injured, uh, hurt by discrimination, and we prove the case, um, the maximum amount is $200,000. All right. Very good. So you act as a 
a, a civil, uh, like a civil court kind of thing, yes. where you, you receive damages as well as factual testimony That's of, right. of, of situations. That's right. We're a civil law enforcement agency. I see. So much like you would get a parking ticket um, uh-huh. on the civil side, it's not really criminal, doesn't carry jail time, it's really fines and damages, and so we, we take that part of the law and vindicate the rights of individuals. Uh, the commission can also order uh, violators to do certain things or not do certain things. So there's injunctive really? relief. Uh, they can subpoena witnesses uh, along with uh, myself in order to bring folks to justice. Very good. Very, that's good to know. That's very good to know. And what are the types of discrimination that you investigate? Well, really all types. Um, so the employment discrimination is probably our largest uh, area of investigation. Probably about 75% of our cases are employment. Okay. But a fair number are housing, where people mm-hmm. are discriminated against in either being steered from certain neighborhoods because yes. they're white or African-American or um, or in public accommodations, people going to hotels or gas stations or to movie theaters really? and hotels and being treated a certain way, being treated unfairly because of their race, their gender, mm-hmm. their sexual orientation, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you getting any religious, dis- like like because people are Muslim, because you see it in the news all the time? Yes, we get our fair, we get a fair amount down? of those. We probably get about uh, one or two religious discrimination cases a month. Wow. And um, we've been doing an education throughout the county for the last couple of years, so it's it's helped to stem some of that. But in the first few years that I was in this position, we used to get a lot of those cases, Uh especially not just uh, Muslims, but when anybody who works at a job and you have religious practices that might take you away from a certain schedule, Oh. And the managers want you to work on a Saturday, but you're a Jehovah's Witness or Seventh-day Adventist. Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah. And so it requires you to have a reasonable accommodation. And Mm. what we were finding is that employers were uneducated about what they must do in order to give someone an accommodation to practice their faith. So the law does say that they have to at least accommodate so that you you can... practice your faith. They have to make reasonable attempts to accommodate. To accommodate. That's why they call it a reasonable accommodation. So if someone asks, the employer has the obligation to sit down with the employee and try to work it out. I see. Um, If they cannot, then they still at the bottom have to prove that there's some burden on the business, you know, in order to grant that accommodation. Who has the burden of proof in a discrimination case? Well, unfortunately, the the plaintiff, the one that's bringing the, the one complaint, that's bringing the complaint, that's what I thought. The, yeah, has the burden of proof throughout much of the case, and that's why you don't find a lot of these cases going to court because the burden is so high, okay. um, especially in employment cases. Right. But across the 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 range of discrimination cases, it, it can be very difficult to prove that someone discriminated against someone else a lot of times because it's really one-on-one interactions. I see. For instance, we had a recent case where an individual, uh, a young man who was a former military veteran, this is Veterans Day, so thank you to all the veterans, he had gone to a hotel, but he mm-hmm. had a service dog. The hotel owner didn't want to rent him the room because the rule was no pets. Ah. But the individual had a disability that required him to have a service dog. Uh, and so the rule against no pets is an inappropriate rule. I see. 
You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I have as my guest attorney Michael Lyles. He is the executive director of the Human Relations Commission in Prince George's County. He just finished telling us about the areas of law that he um, is in charge of investigating and prosecuting claims of discrimination, unlawful discrimination in the areas of housing, employment, policing, education, real estate transactions, financial lending, and public accommodations. I'm, I'm reading from uh, uh, the material. But I'm really interested, and I want us to focus now, on sexual harassment and sexual discrimination in the workplace. Yes. Talk to me about what are those things. What is sexual harassment and what is sexual discrimination? Well, first and foremost, uh, sex discrimination or discrimination based on gender um, is the highest category of discrimination that we handle. We get most complaints in that regard. Really? Yeah, because it really deals with two separate or three separate areas. One is discrimination basically when someone says, I don't think you should have a job because you're a woman, or I don't think you should have a job because you're a man. And we get, we just had a case like this, and we really? were pretty successful in that. Um, we get people who, women especially, who get pregnant and get fired from jobs, and so they come and complain. Is that still happening? It's still happening, and still... Wow, yeah. that's um, amazing. The second area is what we call quid pro quo, sex harassment or sex discrimination, where a supervisor, employer, or co-worker uh, propositions someone he has control over, he or she has control over in the workplace, mm -hmm. and if you sleep with me, go on a date with me, then you will get something, or if you don't, you will get something negative happening to you. Right, uh, right. And then lastly is the kind of discrimination based on a hostile work environment or harassment based on someone making the environment of the office uh, or the place where you work uh, untenable to, to work in. Okay. Basically, it could be pornography <coughs> on computer screens. It could be oh my. conduct, touching, comments, those kinds of things about what, is, what someone wears, that kind of thing. Wow, wow, wow. And that's the highest number of complaints that you're getting yes. in those areas. Yes, because it, it, it covers all of those. So we get cases of people who, or women, who say they're pregnant, getting fired. We get cases where people, women are being propositioned, uh, and women seems to be the highest category of complainants right, in the sex harassment right, category. Uh -huh. They'll get complaints of uh, comments, touching uh, in the workplace, hostile work environment, mm -hmm. and then also not being paid as much as uh, a Oh, that's a big one. In the yeah. same job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, this whole, I, I'm, you know, I usually try and stay out of the news, but this whole thing with Harvey Weinstein, right. that's all over the news, and now it's coming up with a lot of different people um, where these kind of allegations are coming out now. Yeah. So... Let's talk. Let's, let's stay as a lawyer. What are the what are the grounds? How do you prove it? And then where do you go? Why? How? How? If somebody thinks that there is a discrimination or that they're being harassed because right. of something like this, what do you recommend that they do? What should they do? Okay. Well, the first thing uh, someone needs to recognize that. Uh, sex or gender is being held over their head. Uh, if you're in a hostile work environment, you are having unwelcome uh, conduct, uh, as unwelcome pictures, 
conduct statements made towards you um, that are focused on your sexuality. They have to be sexual in nature. They have to be pervasive or severe enough uh, for the court to render it something that uh, is actionable. And at the end, it has to also affect your work life. It has to affect your job. You could be someone that faces adverse employment action because of the conduct. Mm-hmm. And so those things have to uh, be part of the fact pattern that we must prove. And you have to actually prove it. Yes, uh, we, we do a pretty good job. I mean, if someone comes to our agency because we're free, quick, confidential, and easy. You oh, know, you're also confidential. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, that's good to know. So we get a lot of the information we get from folks who are protected from being um, put out uh, publicly, at least during the initial stages of the investigation, everything is confidential. So that's very good to know. Yeah. So, so if, if a person contacts your agency and says, "I'm uncomfortable. I don't know if this rises to the level of actionable discrimination, yeah. but I'm uncomfortable be- because ABC is happening." That's right. Then you keep that in confidence. And you investigate it first. Yes. Uh, Well, we start the investigation. uh, At some point, the person or the alleged perpetrator of the discrimination does have to be put on notice once a complaint is signed. Okay. We start the investigation in full. Uh, But the employer, for instance, would be prohibited from taking any retaliatory action. uh, So they can't get fired just because you're investigating something like that. They would not be able to get fired. And someone someone who goes through this has 180 days from the time that they learn that this is happening to come and complain. So it's 180 days, what we call statute of limitations. Ah, so you can't just wait for years. You can't. And that's one of the issues with Harvey Weinstein and some of the other folks in the public that are being... um, that are being talked about today because a lot of these cases are, are so old, are old that yeah. if they go to an agency like mine, we wouldn't be able to take the case. Uh-huh. You know, if it's an EEOC case, uh, you could go right to the, the federal agency, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. There's a 300-day statute of limitations. All right. If someone was assaulted, then it may be a criminal case, and so the criminal statute of limitations in, in, in your state would, 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 apply. would apply. Would apply. Okay, so... To all the persons, and that would be that 180 days also applies to housing discrimination, public yes. accommodations discrimination, and so on like that. Yes, it does. So if, if you're listening and you believe that you have been discriminated against and it might be actionable, yes. you really have to come in and make a complaint within 180 days, you say? That's right. Within of the action taking place. Yes, and one of the things that uh, some folks have to know is that sometimes the action is continuing. So something may have started three years ago, Uh but the supervisor or the person that controls your employment destiny could still be doing things to you. Ah, then that would be okay for you to come in and complain about it. Yes, and we would take into account all the All of it previous. uh, But you can't let them stop, do nothing, and then wait a couple of years before you come in and complain. Exactly. Okay, okay. We're talking with Attorney Michael Lyles of the uh, Prince George's County Human Relations Commission in Prince George's County, and uh, his agency, uh, or commission, I should say, uh, investigates these kinds of complaints. So now, if somebody makes a complaint, you make a uh, you find that there is something that might be actionable at this point. Why would a company decide to settle? Because well, we see a lot of that in the news, that, that at least when it comes to these big public companies or, 
I forgot who it was, but, you know, ABC or CBS or, you know, like a really big public company, they may choose to settle. Does that, does that, is that like an admission that something happened? I mean, well, how does that work? It's not quite an admission in most companies since I've also represented companies in situations like this in previous legal practice. Uh, sometimes you settle because the odds of you losing are high. Mm -hmm. and you are saving yourself and your company legal fees and costs. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, in Prince George's County, it is required that we meet with the prospective violator or the alleged violator to try to resolve the case prior to a trial. So the, mm. the, the ordinance kind of makes us get with... You have to. You have to sit down and figure out if we can provide some relief to the complainant. Uh, it may not be 100% of what the complainant wants, but if it gets... The complainant beyond the situation provides some relief, and we get some corrective action by the employer. Then mm -hmm. that could be a win uh, for the that's citizens. That's a win. Of Prince that's George's a death. County. Yeah, that's so, good. So a lot of times the settlement can come through an agency, or it can come because the lawyers for the complainant and the employer or the perpetrator are getting together and say, "Hey, how can we cut this short?" Because what we tell a lot of uh, folks that complain in our agency is that, "Yeah, you could get a hundred thousand dollars, but if the the trial that we go to takes a year, mm -hmm. then the decision takes another few months, and then if you go to federal court, that might take two or three An years. Appeal, yeah, you know, so yeah. There are a lot of different reasons why getting some money now is better than getting everything you want four or five years later. And I would imagine that sometimes it's not an issue of money; it's an issue of resolving the situation in 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 a way that that stops it. Yeah, well, a lot of times what uh, folks that come to us want is a recognition that somebody in the company is doing something wrong mm -hmm. and sometimes they fire people they terminate folks who are causing these problems um maybe in one case that we had very recently was one of the most egregious cases a vice president for a local company had been sexually discriminating uh really hostile work environment touching conduct oh uh, words and um they've gone on for a couple of years when we got the case it was still going on but the employer fired the individual Okay. Um, provided uh, tuition assistance for the uh, the complainant to, oh, go, to go to college, finish her degree, and uh, as well as to get some other uh, help for counseling and things like that. Good. So they were doing everything right. Good, in, that's in good. Room. That's um, really good once, to know. Once they found out that it was going on. What was going on. Yeah. So now tell me, as a man, I mean, because, you know, I'm a little bit older, and, and I remember they used to say, oh, men just joking. Yeah. They're not really harassing nobody. That's just the way men are. Men talk yeah. dirty. Men do all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, if you get Is that, there a response to that? Well, because that used to be the, oh, he didn't really mean anything by that. Well, that's called quid pro quo harassment or hostile work environment harassment. Why? Because you have to just deal with it, right? Yeah, that's exactly. That was the idea. But that's illegal. So an employer or someone coming from on high can't just tell you to deal with it. Right. Because that would be illegal and we would investigate and prosecute that case fully uh, at our commission. So, yes, in the old days, for instance, um, probably before 1988, there was a case, um, uh, Meritor Savings Bank versus Vincent. It was a local case here in D.C., probably the, the main Supreme Court case that actually mm -hmm. established that sexual harassment 
and hostile work environment based on sex is sex discrimination. Before okay. the 80s, it really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, yeah. that's just the way men are. They, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. An African-American woman um, who had been sexually harassed, this was in the Washington Post, they talked about it maybe a couple of uh, weeks ago. She'd been sexually harassed uh, at 19 at a bank for at least a year or so, year or more, and finally she couldn't take it. She was being uh, sexually accosted. She was being raped. She was raped? having sex with the, oh um, the supervisor in the bank, and finally she just couldn't take it anymore. The individual manager fired her she brought suit it took two or three years to get to the supreme court but she won and the supreme court in that decision decided that sex harassment is part of the claim of sex discrimination hostile work environment before then you really didn't have a cause you didn't really have a cause of action wow wow I'm glad they changed that. Yes, indeed. So as a man, I think, uh, to your point, it's incumbent upon men, um, people of goodwill in the workplace and housing and other areas to actually take a stand and help everybody do better. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd I'd like to hear more from men about these things because we hear a lot from women, but at least the men I know are really pretty pissed off about it. Yes. You know what I mean? Y'all don't really like what's going on. No, because it is unfair if people aren't being held to the meritorious standards in the workplace. That they should have. That's right. I have as my guest this morning, Attorney Michael Lyles. He's Executive Director for the Prince George's County Human Relations Commission that investigates discrimination of all kinds, but in particular, today I asked him to talk about sexual harassment and sexual discrimination. Uh, If you I'm going to open up the phone lines if someone has any questions about these matters. You can call in to 1-800-450-7876, 1-800-450-7876. And Attorney Lyles, would you also give out the phone number for the commission sure. in case there's someone that's listening that may want to consult you about potential a potential situation that might be actionable? Yes, our main number is 301 301- Eight eight three six one six zero. Okay. Now, are there also? I meant to ask you: Are there similar commissions in D.C. in Virginia in other states? Yes, there are um, across the country. Uh, these organizations exist not only at the local level but also at the state level as well. In the District of Columbia, our partners here. Um, have a similar kind of uh, mandate as we have, and they do a great job here as well as in Northern Virginia, uh, Arlington, Alexandria, and throughout the state of Maryland, we have uh, eight sister commissions, including the State Commission on Civil Rights. Very good. So they're usually in the county level of government. Would that be accurate to say? Yes. Okay. All right. And it's a place that you can bring a complaint Without having to go first to EEOC? Correct. Well, a, a lot of us in Maryland and D.C. have a, a contract. We call it a work share agreement with the EEOC. So okay. if you come to our agency, it's a dual file in the area of employment discrimination. Okay. So, yes, um, you don't have to go to EEOC. In, in case of Prince George's County, you'd have to go to Baltimore. In mm-hmm. the case of D.C., you'd have to come downtown D.C. But if you file with the local agency, it's like filing with the it's EEOC. It's like filing with the EEOC. You get, a, you get an EEOC complaint number. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Now let's talk about some of these cases that you've had. I'm just sort of amazed at the things that you've said because it's amazing to me that people do stuff like that. Yeah. Well, one of the the recent cases we had that we just won um, was a steel case and it was a public hearing. An individual employer uh, had 
texted a uh, prospective candidate for hire a uh, picture of his penis and uh, then made sexual overtures to the young lady. Uh, she did not get the job that she ha- she was told that she was going for. to get yeah. and she interviewed for. And uh, we brought that case and, and won her uh, over $28,000 and the commission uh, levied a fine against the perpetrator. Okay, okay. But, I mean, you don't have to have... You don't have to be raped. You don't have to have quite as extensive a violation. There, there are other kinds of situations that may be actionable as well. Is That's that right? right. What, the, what the law requires is us to show that the conduct is sev- uh, severe or pervasive. In this okay. case, it was one time, but it was severe enough. It was severe, with the picture, yeah. And then him linking the picture and the sexual overture to getting the job. Right. And that's when she didn't respond the way he wanted, she didn't get the job. She didn't get the job, right. Uh, that she was promised before she showed up. Right, right, right. Because right. they really needed people. Uh-huh. Uh, so, no, it doesn't have to be um, something quite that severe, but if it's pervasive uh, or if it's we can show some linkage to some unwelcome conduct that in some way affects the job. So, mm-hmm. for instance, even if it's not severe or pervasive, but the sexual overture is linked to you getting a promotion or a better performance evaluation, that could be quid pro quo and mm-hmm. could be actionable. And that is actionable. Exactly. Okay. If you have questions about this or other areas of discrimination, please do call in now at 1-800-450-7876. Talk to us about how people who are in potential situations or actual situations. How can you protect yourself from that? Well, we tell people to always write things down and because the writing things down helps you remember facts, dates, what was going on at Contemporaneously the time. Contemporaneously with what, Contemporane- when it happens. Exactly. Yeah. Um, secondly, tell someone about it and if you can't talk to someone in your supervisory chain or talk to someone that's close to you so that that person can also be a potential witness um, mm-hmm. about the, the horrifying thing that might have happened mm-hmm. uh, at the time. All of those things help. Uh, additionally, we think that if you are, especially on the job and employment, if you are affected by this, you've got to go to upper-level supervisors and make out a complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times what happens is the law doesn't protect you in many cases, if you haven't complained to the employer and given the employer uh, a chance to chance correct to the correct situation. It. Yeah. Wow, wow. But then are, aren't you kind of opening yourself up to getting fired? You are, but the the state and the local law, the county law, as well as District of Columbia, the laws do protect you from retaliation. Retaliation itself is illegal, and sometimes you can get the commission, like in Prince George's County, to issue an injunction to make the employer hire you back um, because the complaint is going forward. Um, or you can take your case to the end and whatever you're owed in the way of back pay, you might be you due get that, that back. Really yeah, nice yeah. Day. We have somebody on the line. Uh, uh, Fahima, you're on the air. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. We can. Okay, I have a quick question. I have a friend who's 70 years old, and she's a, gov- a D.C. government employee. And because she's 70, um, she's getting all her Social Security. She doesn't want to work full-time. She wants to work part-time. And the district will not allow her to work part-time. And because of her age, would requesting to work part-time be reasonable accommodation? Because she does have uh, uh, 
um, a chronic illness, but they will not allow her to work full-time. They said part-time. They said you must work full-time or, or just retire. Do, do you handle age discrimination, first of all? We do. Um, okay. Age discrimination is illegal at our county level as well as the federal level. In this case, someone would have to really pour through the regulations regarding employment in the particular agency. That the particular agency? If the person has uh, a disability, she can ask for a reasonable accommodation based on her disability. Mm -hmm. um, age would not be the reason, hopefully it's not the reason that they're saying that she can't work part-time. Ah, I see it, the difference. If there's something else that's in play, you'd have to figure that out. And part of what we do is investigate what the reasonable response from the employer would be. Is there a rule or a law or regulation that they're dealing with? Mm-hmm. They didn't prefer if she retired. What did you say, Fahima? They would prefer if she retired. They said, no, you can't work part-time, you just retire. Okay, but, but I think what he's saying is they can, they're not saying it's her age. If she has a disability based on, you know, a disability that makes it difficult for her to work right. you might approach it that way is that what you're saying Please, I, I don't I, I don't need I, to put words in your mouth you I am say. I'm saying that but also we have to be careful because in the case of working full or part-time she probably would not have a reasonable accommodation um, there wouldn't be a reasonable accommodation requirement on the employer for age yeah, that's linked to disability. So if she has a disability, she might have to say, I can only work, you know, 20 hours a week versus 40. But the employer still has the right to come back and say, this would cause an undue burden on our workspace. On your workspace. And that could be a reason for them to be able to get around the law in that regard. Okay. Okay, what's yeah. the DC agency? Explore this. Yeah, the DC agency is the DC Office of Human Rights. Um, okay. They can answer good. some questions for you as well directly. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for calling in. That was an excellent question. Bye-bye. Very good. Thank you. I've had people to tell me that they were applying for jobs, and as soon as they said either they were 60 years old or they went to high school back in the whenever, right. people have actually hung the phone up on them. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they don't even, even when they're qualified for the job, is that considered age discrimination? I mean. It could be, sure. It could be. Uh -huh. um, and employers, and we train employers or we train folks to, to not ask those questions uh, uh -huh. so as not to get the employer in a situation that they probably would regret. regret. But also, uh, it's really not important to the job. If you have the experience, uh -huh. you can come in to work when the job requires you to come into work right. and do all the things that are required, um, I'm not sure that age needs to come into play. I see. We take cases, unlike the federal government, which takes cases of age discrimination over a certain age, we take cases whether the person is young or old because or, we, we okay. found some discrimination against folks who are young as opposed to I guess so. Years. I yeah. guess so. Wow. Wait. I never thought of that. I yes, never I thought of that. Wow. Um... We're in the last segment of a very interesting and I think timely uh, a section with attorney Michael Lyles. Uh, he is currently executive director of the Prince George's County Human Relations Commission, but he's running for another office. Tell us what, what that is, Michael, please. Yes, yeah, so next June, um, I'm, uh, 
I'm a candidate currently for the Office of State's Attorney for Prince George's County. What does the state's attorney do? The state's attorney is the prosecutor, the top prosecutor in the county. Uh, the office of the state's attorney prosecutes criminal cases oh, okay. in, in the counties uh, in the state of Maryland, and every county has one, including Baltimore City. Prince George's mm-hmm. County has their own. So that, like the lady that stood up and 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 everybody was glad she at least brought the case against the officers for Freddie Gray. Is she like a state? Yes, attorney? She's, she's the state's attorney for the city of Baltimore. For the yes. city of Baltimore. Exactly. Okay. So you would be the, at that level, but for Prince George's County. Exactly. Okay. And what kinds of crimes would you be in charge of prosecuting? Well, that's pretty much everything from certain traffic cases uh, all the way up to rape, robbery, murder, uh, assault. So it's a basic prosecutorial it is the pro it is the prosecutor's job yes uh-huh. and the office currently has approximately 97 lawyers um a a over 100 uh, staff members and uh, the office does not only just the prosecution but does a lot of um, partnership and relationship building to ensure that the other parts of the criminal system uh work to the benefit of not only the citizens and victims but also fairness for those that are accused with crimes so that would be, you would be doing most of the criminal prosecutions, or all of them actually, in Prince George's County. Yes, there are some federal crimes that might someone might ah, uh, yes. be arrested for, and that would bring in the federal uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. But probably most, 90% of the, the crimes that are committed in Prince George's County are state crimes, and the prosecutor prosecutes state crimes. Okay, and so you would be in Upper Marlboro? Uh, yes, um, or wherever the, the office may be uh, next year, but basically the state's attorney's office currently is uh, has staff mostly in the courthouse in Upper Marlboro. In Upper Marlboro. That's a big courthouse. Yeah, it is a big courthouse. It really yes, is, yeah. yeah. I only go in the probate part, you yes, know what I mean? So yeah. I'm in the back, you know, right. I go in the back and go in there, and then I rarely get out on the other side of that, yeah. Yes, and, and, it's, still too, and it's still too small, only because, you know, we have a burgeoning population. We have over 920,000 residents. Um, wow, that's almost a million people in right. Prince George's County That's right. alone. That's right, and those that are charged with crimes may not all live in Prince George's County. You know, we might get someone who's charged with human trafficking from another state or charged with uh, uh, theft, but they're from um, some other state or in the region. And, but you can prosecute them in Prince George's County. Yes, if the crime occurred if in Prince If the crime George's occurred County. in Prince George's County. Yes. Okay. I, you mentioned to me that human trafficking is becoming a big, a big reality, unfortunately. Well, it is a reality in the sense that we have uh, always had it with us uh, in the form of what most people understand as prostitution, but we've changed how we look at it and we look at those individuals who might have been charged with prostitution in the past as victims now, uh, as they really were throughout history. Yeah. Uh, people who are yeah, selling really sex are. for money, uh, 99% of the time are doing it to enrich someone else and not themselves. Right, right. And often they have their own very serious addictions and so on like that too. Exactly, exactly. But I, I understand that more and more you're getting young girls who are, because mainly it's girls, not always, yeah. that are being brought in from other areas to do this kind of stuff. Well, in Prince George's County, new? well, in Prince George's County, most of the victims of human trafficking are from Prince George's County. Oh, really? Right? Okay. Uh, and a lot of them are young 
uh, juveniles and minors. Uh, in, wow. the, in the state of Maryland, we do have folks who are brought in from other parts of the state of Maryland uh, and other parts of the country. But uh, someone who can make money from selling someone else for sex uh, or free labor uh, will do whatever they have to do in order to make themselves money. Wow. That's an ugly world, I understand. Yes, indeed. And, you know, one of the things that we often try to educate the public about is that even though some of the individuals we recover are 19 or 20, 21, chances are they were molested uh, at home or in their community and at 13, 14, 15. And so they probably have been used in this way for a long time. For a long time. Are there, are there psychological helps for, for people like that if they want to? Well, Prince George's County is one of the best task forces uh, against human trafficking in the country. And one of the things we've been working on is a protocol to not only deal with the, um, the mental uh, situation that someone might find themselves in, but the, the financial uh, housing psychological, law enforcement, public safety a situation that someone might find themselves in if they're a victim of human trafficking. That is great. I, I forgot to mention that uh, Prince George's County partnered with the University of Maryland Safe Center yes, and got this big grant. Tell us about it. That's quite, you only one of two people, yes, two, one or two agencies that got that. Yeah, what? We were one of two agencies uh, this year that got this grant uh, for $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, our police department, uh, part of the task force, uh, partnered with another part of the task force, the University of Maryland Safe Center, which uh, is a victim-centered uh, response to human trafficking uh, that started by the University of Maryland, and they work with us to provide help for victims. And so those two entities put in the paperwork to get the grant, and so we're very proud that we were able to get this grant. We think we're very deserving. We've been around since 2013 working on these issues, and we think we're the best at it in the country. I see. Yes, indeed. That is great. Congratulations on that. Really and truly, you only got, there were only two uh, that got something like that. Um, What would you like to do if, you know, in the the state's attorney office? Is there something different that you'd want to do with it? I mean... Well, first of all, we want to continue to do what we think is just and right when it comes to ensuring that we don't look at all crimes in a cookie-cutter approach. We want to provide help to victims. Uh-huh. Uh, we want to secure their safety so they can testify. We want to make sure that we create diversion programs for low-level nonviolent offenders uh, so that we don't clog up jails. We want to aggressively prosecute those that would um, abuse our most vulnerable populations, our seniors and our children. Yeah. Uh, and we want to also do some of the other things that would help uh, the criminal justice system be more of a system. Uh, yeah. Right now, uh, it, we don't have much of a system. We have parts of criminal justice, and they don't really talk or deal with each other. So uh-huh. the judges may be um, putting penalties on folks and the, overcrowding the jails. The prosecutors may be understaffed and uh, under-resourced. And so we need to work to make sure that the system is the fair entire and robust. The system is working, yes. yeah. We have a, a caller on the line uh, from Washington, D.C. Ronald, uh, you're on the air. Can we help you? Yes, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I live in the Deanwood neighborhood, which borders Prince George's County. We're separated by Eastern Avenue. And my neighbors have a major problem with prostitution. Uh, They ply their trades on Eastern Avenue. And when the MPD of Washington uh, come after them and their johns, they just go across the line. So I'd like to ask your guest 
if he is um, elected, what strategies he would employ to address this problem? And also, um, does he have any ideas or, or plans to increase the fines on the Johns? And then the third question would be, uh, would he consider establishing a red light district somewhere in Prince George's so the Johns from <laughs> Prince George's who come to our neighborhood in Washington, D.C. are not uh, burdened by this. These people throw condoms on my neighbor's uh, lawn. Uh, they get belligerent with folk. And um, so I'd like to know how he would address that. You got two minutes. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, to answer all of that, okay? Yes, yeah, um, it's real quick. Pretty quickly, <laughs> we're, we're working with the city right now, Washington, D.C., and their Human Trafficking Task Force. I would be uh, more robust in that relationship, as well as I think we need to fight for higher penalties right now. Um, trafficking someone who's over 18 is a misdemeanor in Prince George's County uh, and the District of Columbia. We'd like to see those be felonies so that we could prosecute traffickers. Secondly, we'd like to provide a diversion for Johns where they have to lose assets, um, pay money to go to a diversion program, much like an anger management program. We'd like that bill passed in, at the state of Maryland so that we could hold Johns accountable in a better way. And I think when it comes to red light districts, I'm not really in favor of that because what we found is if a, a victim is even 21, chances are Johns want to go younger and younger. So I don't want to create the environment where people are still going after juveniles and minors. Uh, so we want to eliminate that. But I think some of the laws have to change to be more stringent. And uh, there's already an office in the state's attorney that deals with these issues. But I would bolster that particular office uh, if I'm elected. Well, thank you very much. And thank that was an excellent question, uh, 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 Mr. Ronald. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have, we have to go. This is Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Uh, please uh, tune in next week. Thank you very much, Attorney Thank Lyles. Thank you, Ethel. Appreciate it. You're quite, you, you have to come back. You we really will. do. We will. If somebody wants to help you with your campaign very quickly, where should they call or is there a website or something like that? Yeah, it's very simple. Just go to uh, our website, votemikeliles.com. And it's L-Y-L-E. Yes. Correct. The number, yes. website, email are all on there, and we look forward to touching base with everybody. Okay. Thank you very much for coming, and uh, stay tuned next week. We'll have another good conversation for you. Have a good day. Goodbye.